Well, good morning, everyone. It's nice to see your smiling faces. And uh, it's a real honor uh, and privilege for Elaine and I to be here. Uh, I think you probably all know that I have mad respect for your pastors, for Bryant and Stacy. And I hope, you, I hope you know how lucky you are to have them. They're, they're fantastic. And uh, I'm going to just, uh, you know, I'm going to set my Bible. Will you be offended? No, here, I'll just set it right there. Thank you. Yeah, I have it memorized, so, you know, it's not a problem. Well, um, I want to just talk for a minute about your church plant offering and, and uh, kind of give a little background, if I can, for everyone. Uh, so, Bryant and Stacy and Awaken Spokane are part of the Pacific Northwest Church Planting Movement, uh, which is a movement that uh, some friends and I started about five years ago now. And uh, currently, there are over 30 churches in our community that are all part of this. And all of those churches are doing what you are doing today. Uh, not necessarily doing it today, but all of them every year take a, an annual church plant offering and then uh, designate that money to help start new churches in our community. And uh, so you're part of, I love what you said about the kingdom of God, that it's always bigger than just our church, isn't it? And it needs to be that. We need to keep that in focus. And so uh, you're a part of something bigger that's happening. It's, it's bigger than just Life Center and our family of churches. You know, in the last, we started planting churches out of Life Center in 1997. And uh, currently we have uh, 10 daughter churches, seven, eight, grand, eight granddaughter churches, uh, uh, one great granddaughter church, uh, and then two churches that we sponsored, which means that, that uh, the, the story behind those are, these were pastors in our community that um, got canned. Uh, you know, I mean, and they, they ended up at our, they ended up at Life Center and, uh, you know, got healed up and then we sent them off. Um, but we say we sponsored them because these were seasoned veteran pastors that, you know, really, uh, we didn't do a whole lot. We just supported them, turned them loose, and they did the thing. But anyway, so we've got 20 churches out there now here in Spokane, yeah, which is really a, a wonderful thing. But again, it's bigger than just what we've done. I mean, there's 30 churches across our community that are part of this movement that are helping to start new churches. So thank you, thank you, thank you for being part of that. And uh, Brian asked me if I'd kind of speak to that, to, the, to this whole idea of the mission. And uh, our mission really is about making disciples and developing leaders and planting more churches to reach more people for Jesus. Isn't that it? It's all about that. And so uh, if you, you got an outline when you came in. Did you get that? Yeah. And uh, I'd, like to, I'd like to give an outline for these two reasons. Number one, uh, people learn in different ways. Some people are auditory learners. They learn by listening. Some are visual. They learn by looking at it and seeing it. And some are a little more kinetic, touch. And so the outline kind of helps a little bit with all three of those, right? You get to hear it. You get to see it. You get to write it out and uh, take some notes. So it's helpful there. Then the other thing the outline is good for is that it gives people hope. Because they look at it and go, there's an end to this. He's not going to talk all day. So, and you'll, you know, it's a road map. You'll kind of be able to see where we are and, you know, when we're coming in for a landing. All right, so on your outline up at the top, you'll see the big idea is our mission is to help people find and follow Jesus. That's what we want to talk about today. And uh, we're making disciples, we're developing leaders, we're planting churches. So why is this our mission? The answer is it's what Jesus told us to do. And uh, there's a famous passage in Matthew 28, 18 to 20. It's called the Great Commission. And here's how it goes. We'll put it up on the screen here. All authority, this is the words of Jesus, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, 
baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. All right, so there's the mission that Jesus gave us. What's the mission? Well, we're going to put the verse back up and we're going to highlight four verbs. There are four verbs in the Great Commission. And uh, there they are. They're up there in red. What are they? Go, make disciples, baptize, and teach. Right. Now, here's the interesting thing. A little bit, I don't want to bore you with too much grammar here, but um, the grammar in this particular statement is that there are these four verbs, one of them is imperative. That means it's a command. And three of them are participles, which means they're verbal adjectives, right? They're verbs that are modifying or helping to explain the main verb, the command. So when you look at those four, which one's the command? Yeah, everyone says go because it's first, but that's not the command. Make disciples. That's the command. So the Great Commission is make disciples. And then usually in English, participles are translated with an ing. You'll see that some of them are here, teaching, baptizing. And really, to be consistent, the go should be too, going. So in all your going, wherever you go, make disciples, baptizing them and teaching them. Does that make sense? So our big deal, it's all about making disciples. So what does it mean to make disciples? And uh, on, your, on your outline there, if you want to flip it over, I'm going to have you do a little artwork. Uh, I want you to just draw a straight line right across the top of your page there. Just draw a straight line. And at one end of it, I want you to put your name. Now we're going we're gonna to put an example on the screen here. And uh, I'm going to use my name, Joe. And uh, if you don't like your name, feel free to write Joe down. That's okay. Um, but probably best if you write, write your name down. And at the other end of this line, you're going to write God. And so here's what making disciples is. It's all about helping people who are far from God meet Jesus. That's why the cross is there in the middle. And we might call that being born again or getting saved or becoming a Christian, whatever you call it. But you meet Jesus, and then from that point on, you grow and get closer and closer to God. All right? So kind of a simple... Now, here's the thing. We realize that the journey to God for most of us is not a straight line. Isn't that true? Uh, there's usually, you know, uh, there's a lot of two steps forward, one step back, some side, side tours we make, you know, we're easily distracted. So generally it's not a straight line, but for the sake of simplicity today, we're just going to do a straight line. We start far from God, we want to end up over here close to God, fully devoted to Christ. Uh, now typically what we call the process, yeah, there it is up there, from where you start, far from God, to where you meet Jesus, that process is called what? Evangelism, right? And then from when we meet Jesus till we become a fully devoted disciple, become more like Jesus, that is called discipleship, right? We also sometimes like to use uh, the language of find and follow. So we'll call that first half the evangelism side, find, and we'll help call the second side discipleship as follow. So we help people find and follow Jesus. We help people meet him, and then follow him and grow into Christ-likeness. Um, so that's what, uh, uh, that's what we're doing. We're helping people find Jesus, helping people follow Jesus. And the whole process from start to finish is the process of making disciples. When Jesus gave the Great Commission and he said, go and make disciples, he wasn't just thinking about taking someone like Bryant, you know, who already loves Jesus and help him love Jesus more. When we use the word discipleship nowadays, that's generally what we mean, Right? You take a convinced person and help them become a better Christian. But really, making disciples covers the whole thing. It's starting with someone far from God and helping them meet Jesus and then grow in their faith and become more like Christ. So why do we do this? Why do we try to persuade people to believe in Jesus and follow him? Why don't we just live and let live? Right? 
why not just let people go to hell? Because isn't that what's at stake? John 3, 16, you all know this verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish. Oh, underline that word, perish. What happens if you don't know Jesus? We perish without him. Without Jesus, people are perishing. With Jesus, we have the opportunity to be reconciled to God and to experience eternal life. Let me just ask you a question. If you were walking by... Uh, in your neighborhood, and you saw a house on fire and a family sitting down to dinner, completely oblivious to the fact that flames were coming out of their roof, what would you do? Wow. I expected a little bigger response than that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you would go to the front door and start pounding on it, wouldn't you? And ringing the doorbell and screaming, there's a fire, there's a fire, get out. Yeah. Uh, you, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't be worried about offending them, uh, and you wouldn't even think, uh, you wouldn't do it because you're better than them. It has nothing to do with that. It's all about saving their lives, right? It's just that simple. Or the same thing, you hear a friend has a potentially fatal illness, and you know of a cure. What are you going to do? You're going to, you're going to tell them, right? Why? Because you love them and you don't want them to die. Again, you're not doing it out of any sense of superiority. Oh, I'm a better person than you. That's why I'm telling you this. It has nothing to do with that. It's an act of love. And this is why we try to persuade people to follow Jesus. Because, friends, here's the good news. There's a cure for our brokenness. There's hope for our helplessness, right? And we don't share the good news out of any sense of superiority. We share it out of a sense of love and wonder. Someone put it this way. Evangelism is one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. Isn't that good? We're all beggars. We're all broken. We're all in need. If people were starving and you knew where to get bread, you'd tell them. And that's why we tell other people about Jesus. Because God has done something wonderful to heal our brokenness and to give us eternal life. So I like to define the good news this way. Ready? You are more broken than you ever imagined. And you're more loved than you ever dreamed. Because it's both those things, isn't it? Each of us are fundamentally flawed and broken and yet deeply loved by God. So that's why we try to persuade people to find and follow Jesus. How do we do it? And I, this is a little thing I want to share because I like to make things real practical. And uh, uh, so I'm going to just tell you a little story here. When I first came to Life Center, which is now 45 years ago, uh, at about year, I don't know, it was year four or five, somewhere in there. Uh, so this is the early 80s. Uh, how many of you were alive in the early 80s? Okay, thank you. All the high mileage units, God bless you. Uh, so uh, I decided I, I wanted, I, you know, I, had the, I have this passion to help people find and follow Jesus, and I wanted to equip our church to do it. And so I did a 12-week series on personal evangelism, how to share your faith with other people. And I actually, I bought notebooks. I gave everybody a notebook and 12 dividers week by week, and I gave them every week this whole, you know, all this stuff you know, apologetics and, you know, how to give your testimony. And just on and on and on. Twelve weeks worth of stuff. And at the end of the twelve weeks, each of them had an inch-thick notebook full of stuff on how to, be, how to share their faith. And you know what I discovered? I hadn't equipped them. I'd paralyzed them. Can you see why? Yeah, because they looked at all that and said, holy smokes, I have to know all that to be able to share my faith with someone? Well, good for you, Pastor Joe. You go do it. You know, you've got this down. But the rest of us, they just checked out. And it was pretty discouraging for me. And uh, a couple years later, I was reading my Bible. Uh, and don't you love it when, you know, you find something in the Bible? You go, oh, 
this, this is pretty good. Um, I found this really simple way to teach people how to share their faith. And I found it in John chapter 1. We'll put it up on the screen here. John 1, verse 40. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John, John uh, the Baptist, had said, and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was find his brother Simon and tell him, we found the Messiah, that is the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. All right, look at the verbs up there. I think we yeah, look at that. We've got them highlighted. What are they? Find, tell, and brought, or... In, in the present tense, bring, right? Find, tell, and bring. Andrew found his brother, he told him about Jesus, and then he brought him to Christ. And a little bit later in this same chapter, Philip, when he meets Jesus, first thing Philip does is he finds his friend Nathaniel. And he tells him, we found the Messiah. Who is it? It's Jesus of Nazareth. Nazareth? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Well, come and see, Philip said. And he brought him to Jesus. A little bit later, John chapter 4 uh, Jesus is uh, having a conversation with a woman at a well. Remember that? And it changed her life, and she ran back to her village. First thing she does is she runs back to her village. She finds her neighbors and said, come see a man who told me everything I've ever done. Could this be the Messiah? And this is a lady who had done a lot, right? And so the people go, well, that's it. so out they come, and they believe in Jesus. Each one of those stories had the same three verbs. They went and found somebody they loved, a brother, a friend, a neighbor, they told them what they knew, what they'd experienced, and then they brought them to meet Jesus. Find, tell, bring. By the way, it's also in Mark chapter 5. This is the story where Jesus had freed a man from a legion of demons. And the man, this newly freed man, asked Jesus, can I go with you? And Jesus says, no, go home to your family and tell them what the Lord has done for you. And so the man did. He went back to his family. Now, the area he lived in was called Decapolis. That was a Gentile region on the eastern shores of the Sea of Galilee. And so uh, he goes around and he starts out. Well, Jesus didn't come back for another year to that side of the, of the lake. But when he did, there were thousands of people waiting to meet him. Why? Because that man went home and did find, tell, bring. He found people he loved. He told them what he knew. And he ended up bringing them to Jesus. They showed up. So we found this little thing and I started sharing this with our church. And uh, uh, this is what a lot of people... Um, know this now, but this was the thing that turned our church around and helped us begin to grow and reach people for Jesus. And here we are, you know, 40-some years later, and we still baptize you know, two or three dozen people every month. Isn't that exciting? Yeah. And it's just because, and here's why. I'm not doing it. It's all of you. I'm, I'm doing it too. Don't misunderstand me. But it's not just me. It's all of us who just go out, find people we love, tell them what we know, and share the, and, and bring them with us. All right, so let me just run through those real quickly, tell a couple stories. Number one, first thing on your outline, find someone you love. Find someone you love. Andrew found his brother. Philip found his friend. The woman went back and found her neighbor's brother, friend, neighbor. They reached back into their existing networks of relationships, people that they knew and loved. So here's the first thing to realize about our pre-Christian neighbors. They're not going to be one without a relationship. Here's an interesting stat, ready? 90% of the people who come to Christ do so through the influence of a trusted friend or family member. Intrusive measures rarely work. Now, every now and then, you know, we all know someone who got saved by, you know, got stopped on the street corner or whatever. But let, let me just, let me picture it for you this way, okay? You're home, it's a Saturday morning, it's a day off, you're relaxing, 
You're sitting in your, in your pajamas and your slippers. You're eating breakfast, drinking a cup of coffee. You hear a knock on the door. You look out the window, and you see two young men on bicycles with white shirts and ties. Okay, how do you feel? Okay, yeah. Okay, now let's change it up, okay? Same scenario, Saturday morning, eating breakfast, you're relaxed, you hear a knock on the door, you look out, it's your best friend. Two different feelings, right? The first one, you feel intruded upon, like, ah, oh, really? I gotta deal with this. The second one, you feel like, ah, it's my friend. And that's why I'm saying is intrusive measures rarely work. Most people come to Christ through the influence of a trusted friend or family member. It's you reaching out to your brother and sister, to your friend, to your neighbor. It's you doing fine tell bring with them. So it starts by reaching out to someone you love. Now, here's the thing. The very best people at doing this generally are new Christians. Why? They're excited. They're on fire. What else? Okay, yeah, yeah, they're, they're too dumb to know better. Yeah, that's true. That's, 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 that's true, too. But there's still one more thing. You know what it is? Most of their friends and family are not Christians yet. They have, they're surrounded by people that need to know Jesus, right? And here's an interesting stat. When you become a Christian and you, and you jump in with both feet, generally after two years, you have very few non-Christian people in your closest circle. Now, why is that? It's because your circle changes, right? I mean, you start surrounding yourself with Christians, but also it's because in those first two years, you've shared and led a lot of those folks to Christ. So what does it mean? It means if you've been Christians longer than two years, it means you have to be very intentional about building these relationships. Some of us are church people. I don't say that in a bad way. We're church people, but honestly, we're surrounded with other church people. And so, you know, I say, go find someone you love and tell them about Jesus. And you think, everybody I love knows Jesus, right? So you have to be intentional about building those relationships. Otherwise, we end up isolated from our world, cocooned in safe relationships with other Christians, and insulated from the very people Jesus is seeking to reach. So it's so important that we're intentional about this. Who are your unbelieving friends? Who are the pre-Christian people that you're intentionally building relationships with? Let me just give you an example of this. So uh, our, our youngest son, Michael, uh, played sports all through middle school, high school, and we sat through hundreds of football games, basketball games, track meets, practices, you know. Well, when you do that, and it was in a smaller school, uh, you know, you start to recognize the parents, right? They're all, we're all in the same boat. And it was the same parents we're sitting by. And uh, over a period of those, those four to six years that we did that, uh, there ended up being probably 20 to 25 families from that school that ended up at Life Center. Just as, as some of that was Michael's influence and some of that was ours as we just sat and talked to parents. One of them was a, a couple named John and Kathy who, were, uh, who became real close friends. We did a lot of stuff with them, but I got chances to share the gospel with John, you know, just to talk with him. It just as, again, it's, we're friends, right? Plus, you're sitting at a track meet for four hours. What do you talk about? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, anyway, so eventually one time he said, well, hey, you know, can I come to your church? I said, please, we'd love for you to come. I didn't even have to invite him. He invited himself. He came, and uh, this, was, this was one of these times where uh, they came then for, I don't know, two or three or four months, 
And then one Sunday, we did a thing. We called it Amnesty Sunday. And uh, we, had, we had a baptismal up front and huge stacks of towels. And we said, listen, this is Amnesty Sunday. If you've never been baptized, you don't even have to sign up. Just come on, walk up here. You're going to go home. It's summer. It's hot out. You'll be fine. You'll survive. And, uh, you know, we just, and we just started baptizing people. And that, by the way, on that particular Sunday, we baptized 276 people. And, and uh, yeah, we said, all excuses are forgiven. It's Amnesty Sunday. So, but I'm sitting in the front row, and I feel a tap on my shoulder. And I turn around, and it's my friend John saying, Joe, would you baptize me? And to, that, to this day, that, that was, is, one of, is one of my favorite moments in ministry. When this guy that I just built a friendship with sitting watching high school sports, and he comes to me and says, I believe, would you baptize me? And to this day, John and Kathy are walking with Jesus, part of a small group, growing in Christ, and doing really, really well. Uh, by the way, in fact, I, um, he sent me an email not long after that. He says, Joe, I can't tell you how special it made me feel to know that I had been on your love list, that you'd been praying for me for over a year. I only hope that as I grow in Christ, that one day I may lead some of my friends to Christ, just as you and Lena, Michael, Kathy, and Andrew have led me. Thank you again for all you've done, John. Hang out with pre-Christian people, right? Who are the pre-Christian friends that you're praying for? Luis Palau said this, I love this. He says, the church is like manure. <laughs> I better not stop the quote there, had I? Yeah. The church is like manure. He says, pile it up and it stinks up the neighborhood. Spread it out, it enriches the world. we got to spread out, right? Make those relationships. Uh, one of the things that we love to do at Life Center, and, and I'm going to share that practice with you, is we, every year we ask people to create a love list. You heard me mention that. And a love list is just that. It's a list of names of people you love that are still far from Jesus, and you just start praying for them. And when I pray over my love list, what I ask, I ask God every day, I say, Lord, would you give me the opportunity to do fine till bring with this person, to just love them till they ask me why, share the gospel, bring them with? But also, would you send other people too besides me that would come alongside them and share the gospel with them? So I'm going to give you just about 30 seconds right now. You've got a piece of paper right there you can write on. And just write down three, four, five names. Who are the people far from God that you're praying for, loving, and you want to share with? Okay? Go ahead and write them down. All right, I know you probably need more time and I'll let you take that later, but I'm going to ask you just to hold that list up right now. Just hold it up in your hand like this. And Lord, here are the names. We're lifting them up to you today. Names of people we love. We want them to know Jesus. And so would you send people to love them, to share with them, but send us, Lord, here am I. Send me in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Make time in your life for pre-Christian people. Find them, love them. We like to say it this way, love them until they ask you why. Love them until they ask you why. And I can't emphasize how strongly, uh, how important this is because it all starts with relationships, doesn't it? 
It all starts with the relationship. All right, let's go to the next one. Number two, you guys doing okay? I'm okay. Okay, we're, see, we're, look at, we're on number two already. Number two, tell what you know. Tell what you know. Andrew found Peter, and he told him about Jesus. Philip did that with Nathaniel, the woman with her neighbors. And when you've loved someone, when you've been a friend, you win the right to be heard. You win the right to be heard. People will listen to you because you're a friend. So then you can tell them the good news. Now, the word gospel means literally what? Good news, right? It's good news. And is it hard to tell good news? No, in fact, it's kind of hard to keep it in, right? Yeah, in fact, I think about, uh, you know, Lane and I have, we have five kids and ten grandkids. I think we've got a Christmas picture here from this Christmas. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's really fun. We all get together. There are 20 of us. It's loud. It's crazy. And after four hours, when they go home, praise the Lord. Anyway, uh, you all understand, don't you? All the grandparents, yeah. Uh, but, you know, Lena has been there for almost all of our grandchildren, children's births. You know, she'll be in, in the room or just outside the door. And as soon as the baby comes, what does she do? She starts calling, texting, emailing, Facebooking, Instagramming, TikToking, pretty much everyone in the known universe to let them know. Why? Because it's, it's good news. We have another grandchild. Does anyone force Lena to do this? Does, Lena, does the nurse come up to you and hold a scalpel to your throat? So you better call people now. No. No one forces her to do it. Why? Because it's, it's good news, and good news is easy to share. Now, I want to tell you there's a difference between advice and news. People love to hear good news. People are not always so excited for your advice. Am I right? Yeah. Advice is, you know, when, when I give you advice, I'm telling you what to do. When I'm telling you news, I'm telling you what has already been done. And sometimes we mistakenly reduce Christianity to advice. We think we need to tell people what to do, when in fact we need to tell people what's been done, the good news. And here's the difference between that. A few years ago I was in Kenya. I uh, go there every few years to do some mission work we do there. And I was with Caleb Fisher, and Caleb, is a, he's a young guy, and he's a, he's a boxer. And uh, we were, we were you know, talking with a group of boys in Kenya. We got a picture of them here, and they're all in a boxing pose, and and Caleb's right there in the middle of them. And, uh, but with, with this group of boys, we were talking, and their teacher, one of their teachers, made a comment about religion. And so I asked the boys, I said, hey, boys, can anyone here tell me the difference between religion and what it means to be a Christian? Because they're two different things. And they kind of scratched their head, and I said, well, okay, here's how I would describe it. Religion is spelled D-O, do. Religion is about what you do to get to God, about what you do for God. And that's why if we talk about religion, we're giving people advice. We're telling them what to do. But Christianity, the good news, the gospel, puts the emphasis not on what we do, but on what God has done for us in Christ. And so we spell the gospel D-O-N-E, done. It's not advice on what we're to do. It's the good news that tells us what God has done for us in Christ and again, that good news is you are more broken than you ever imagined and more loved than you ever dreamed. Or put another way, you are deeply loved, fully forgiven, and completely accepted. God has reconciled you to himself. That's good news, isn't it? That's good news, and it's not hard to tell. You know, that idea of being reconciled to God, have you ever had a broken relationship? All of us have. And then it gets healed, it gets reconciled. And this is what God did for us in Christ. And we get to tell people this good news. Friends, you're forgiven. Friends, the war is over. God's made peace with you. God has accepted you. God loves you. 
He wants you as his child. Let me tell you a little story that illustrates this in a really profound way. Shoichi Yokoi was a Japanese soldier stationed on Guam in World War II. And as the war drew to a close, he feared capture by American forces. He'd been brainwashed to think that the Americans would torture and kill him. So he ran into the jungle and hid in a cave. Later, he learned that the war was over, but guess how he learned? He learned it by reading one of the pamphlets that the American troops dropped over the island. Well, he thought it was what? He thought it was a trick, right? He thought it was propaganda. And so he remained in the cave. He stayed in the cave for 28 years. 28 years he lived on frogs, rats, roaches, and mangoes. 28 years of hiding every day in fear. And finally, on January 24, 1972, after 28 years, some hunters discovered him and convinced him that the war, in fact, was over, that it was safe to come out, and that he could go home. And the picture you're looking at there is one is of him as a young soldier. The other one is what he looked like 28 years later when he finally learned that the war was over. Friends, this is the good news we get to tell people, that the war is over, that God's made peace, that he's not against you, he's for you, he wants to be your friend. It's the best news in the world, and it's not hard to tell. At some point in your friendship, as you're loving people, as you're praying for people, you'll get the chance to say something about Jesus. And so we always just say, tell them what you know, tell them what God's done for you in Christ. We also like to put it this way, we say, tell your story. Tell your story. I love John chapter 9. That's the story of the blind man that Jesus healed and the Pharisees brought him in and they quizzed him. You know, they asked him all these tough theological questions. Do you think he's a prophet? You know, what about this? What about this? And he couldn't answer all the theological questions. He says, I don't know the answer to all that stuff. There's one thing I do know. Once I was blind and now I see. Tell people what you know. What do you know? You know your story. You know what God's done for you. That's good news. Tell your story. And one of my favorite ways to engage people and to open that conversation is to simply ask them to tell their story, right? Tell me your story. And, you know, you sit, you listen, you ask questions. And not every time, but many times, people will say, well, tell me your story. And as soon as they ask that, that's my opening because my story is a Jesus story. Is it not? How he's changed my life. So find someone you love. Tell them what you know. Here's the last thing. You ready? We're coming in for a landing. Landing gear's out. Number three, bring them with you. Bring them with you. So Andrew found Peter, told him about Jesus, and he brought him to Jesus. Philip brought Nathaniel to Jesus. The woman brought her neighbors to Jesus. But you're thinking, how do I do that? Because Jesus is, I mean, Bryant's here. He's close to Jesus. But, you know, how do I do that if Jesus isn't here? And uh, the answer is you bring them to church or to your youth group. And why is that? Because the Bible says the church, large or small, meaning a big group like this or even a small group like a life group, uh, is the body of Christ. Think about that. That means that the church is the physical representative of Christ on earth. Jesus put it this way. He said, whenever two or three will gather in my name, I am what? I am. I'm there. I'm there. So when we bring people to church, whether it's this meeting or even a small meeting, as small as what? Two or three, yeah. You, it's, it's you and another Christian friend getting together for coffee and inviting that pre-Christian friend to come with you. It's that simple. And just talking about it together. But whenever we do that, whenever we bring someone into this kind of a setting or a small group setting with other Christians, we are bringing them into the presence of Jesus because that's what Jesus said. We're exposing them to Jesus. So why bring them to church? I like to say it this way. Christianity is what kind of a sport? 
It's a team sport. We do it best together. No one can follow Jesus alone. Think about this. When Jesus called people to follow, say, hey, you know, Kevin, come follow me. You know, hey, Gary and Colleen, come follow me. And they said yes and started following. That automatically meant that they were part of a group. Isn't that true? I mean, when Jesus said to Peter, Peter, come follow me, Peter couldn't say, hey, Lord, if it's just you and me, I'm cool with that. Just got to get rid of all these other losers. You ever felt that way? <laughs> it's, yeah, we don't get that choice. When we say yes to Jesus, we say yes to his family. When we say yes to Jesus, we say yes to being part of his team. I like to like it. It's like football. I, I played football growing up, uh, and here's what I discovered. You can't play football by yourself, right? I mean, I was a, I was a quarterback in high school, so I'd go out every summer. I, I, hung a, I hung a tire from a rope on a tree in my yard, and I'd run all over my yard and fire footballs through the tire, right? Was that playing football? No, that was throwing footballs through a tire. That's what that was, yeah. And it was getting me ready for football, but football can only be played with a team. Same thing with basketball. Same thing with baseball, right? And the same thing with being a Christian. Being a Christian is a team sport. We can only do it together with other people. And that's why we need each other. If you lead someone to Christ and don't connect them to other Christians, it's like giving birth to a baby and then abandoning it by the roadside. What does a baby need more than anything? A family. Yeah. A baby without a family will not survive. It must have a family. We're, uh, as Christians, uh, we know that once we say yes to Jesus, we're saying yes to his family. We need to be connected with others in order to explore the faith and grow and become all that God wants us to be. So bring your friend to this. Invite your friend to church. What if they won't come to church? What if they say, I'm not going to church? Bring them to your youth group. What if, or youth group. Yeah, you can do your life group. <laughs> Maybe your life group is a youth group. I don't know. <laughs> By the way, I, so this is so one of the things I started at Life Center is called North of 55. How many of you are north of 55? Could I see your hands? Okay, a bunch of it, yeah. So I started this thing. I, I did it because when I passed the baton to Michael, you know, we went from a 72-year-old lead pastor to a 33-year-old lead pastor. I thought, who's most in jeopardy? It's the old people, right? So I said, I'll get the old people together and just love them. So we started north of 55. Do you know what, do you know what the kids call it? Youth group for old people. Yes, it is. We have fun. All right, so, okay, so bring them to your youth group, whether it's for old or young, yeah. Uh, include them in your circle of friends. And again, if, 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 they won't, if, if, they, if they don't want to do this quite yet, it can be as simple as you and another friend just taking them out for coffee and just loving them, being friends, listening, and having good conversations. All right, how many people, here's a question, how many people in your circle of influence might be just one invitation away from a changed life. Just one invitation away. And I'm going to finish with my story. So I was 13 years old. I was far from God. Um, I was a little juvenile delinquent. I was, <laughs> I was a straight-A student and a star athlete, but I was also a juvenile delinquent. I was leading a double life. And uh, one Saturday morning, there was a knock on my door. I opened it, and Don Lang sat next to me in science class at middle school, Don Lang's standing there, and uh, he says, hey, uh, we have a youth rally at our church tonight. Would you come? Saturday night. I'm not a Christian. I never go to church. Last place I wanted to be on Saturday night was in church. That's what I'm thinking. But Don's my friend, right? He's my friend, and I just don't want to disappoint my friend. So I say, yeah, I'll come. 
So I grabbed two or three of my other buddies. This is, I still laugh about this. I mean, I'm going just purely to please my friend. I, you know, and yet I grabbed two or three of my friends and said, let's go do this thing, then we'll go out and party afterwards. So we go to this meeting. I want to tell you something. I got ambushed by Jesus. I got ambushed by Jesus. The guy that shared his name, Sam Owen, is a young college student at that time. Now he's a missionary in Kenya. But Sam Owen got up and he preached the gospel and he did it in this warm, wonderful, winsome way. He was funny. He was real. He was genuine. And when that thing was over, uh, I walked home. In fact, instead of going out with my buddies and causing trouble, I said, "Ah, I'm going home tonight. And I walked. I could take you to the exact spot. Lane has been there. She knows where it is. Exact spot in my little hometown where I'm walking up a hill. And I made my decision. I said, okay, God, I prayed my first prayer ever. Okay, God, I don't know much about you. All I know is what that guy has, I want. Here I am. And listen, the sky opened, a shaft of light beamed down. No. No. Nothing happened, but I got up the next morning. Next morning, Sunday morning, I got up and thought, what do I do now? And the only thing I knew about Christians was what? They go to church. So I got up and I walked back down a mile in my town, back down to that little church, and my life started changing. In fact, before the week was over, some of my friends at school said, what happened to you? You're different. And I didn't have vocabulary yet. And I said, well, I'm religious. You know, it's like I would never say that now, but I didn't know what else to say, right? But Jesus changed my life. Listen, one invitation from a friend changed my life. And here's why I'm telling you that story, because if an eighth grade boy can do it, you can do it. Isn't that true? You can do it too. Let's pray.